Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. I'm your host, Gene Signorini, and I'm excited for today's episode. Today's guest is highly skilled in continuous improvement and has a demonstrated track record in change management. He is currently program manager at PVA Consulting Group. Please welcome to the show, Harris Muhammad. Harris, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Eugene. Pleasure. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited. You've got a, a, a great background, a, a great um, and interesting kind of path, and I'd love to dig in, in on that in a little bit. Um, but I'd love to kind of start out the program as we typically do by asking you kind of the the big question, which is, what do you see as the biggest challenge facing the frontline workforce today? Yeah, so the biggest challenge, in my opinion, that the frontline workers are facing today is uh, uh, communication and, and access to information uh, from from company executives or leadership. And when you see what, what do you see as the, what's kind of at the root of that challenge, the communication challenge? Is it a technical thing? Is it a trust thing? Where is that kind of stemming from? I th I think, uh, so it's a, it's a bit of a bunch of different things, but you know, the pandemic has really highlighted, uh, the disconnection and the, the disengagement due to a lot of you know, it's a desk with and remote and people aren't in the office, the employee morale, it's hard to keep track of how people are feeling through, you know, Zoom calls and uh, different communication platforms. So I think it's a it's a, a bunch of different things that are causing this and, and just not one issue. Um, and they all play into leading to this uh, communication barrier that the, the frontline or desk list employees are facing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because when we think of frontline workers, and I know we'll get into a little bit of the the area of that specifically within frontline that you focus in, which is is more on kind of the, the oil and gas. I know we've got a, a specialty there, but those workers generally aren't connected at, at, at a, a lot of times as is. So as you said, as we moved kind of into this kind of, you know, world post or in in the middle of or post pandemic wherever the heck we are right now um it certainly seems that maybe they don't even have the right tools to be able to communicate um with you know leadership um in in this environment yeah correct uh and if they have the right tools they haven't been trained on how to use that tool or the tool isn't solving a functional requirement that that they wanted uh, whenever the you know company decided to implement that tool, yeah, um, I, I'd love to dig into this a little bit more. I, 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 but I alluded a little bit to your background, which is has has been very heavily oriented toward oil and gas, and I, I'd love for you to kind of um, set the stage for our audience a little bit, um, maybe on on PVA Consulting uh, and what you guys specialize in and focus on, 
and also kind of w- what your specific role is and and kind of how you've been working with with clients yeah so i'll, I'll give a quick uh background on myself uh so i was originally involved a lot in oil and gas in, in northern alberta canada uh so all the 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 oil sand mines um well site work uh i realized where it was going it was cyclical in nature and I wanted to get out of the industry and then that's how I ended up in consulting. Uh, long story short, I've been at PVA coming up to about three years now. Uh, PVA specifically is, is a management consulting firm also out of Canada, but they work all over North America. Um, their specialty is continuous improvement, operation, ex- operational excellence uh, for various clients. Uh, over the course of a couple of decades, they've gone from all sorts of clients from manufacturing, trucking, construction, and and now recently a lot into utilities. Uh, For me, uh, as a manager at PVA, I specifically lead uh, projects and and programs anywhere from six months to uh, a year to two years. Uh, We work with the clients, uh, you know, in the field with the boots on the ground. and, And that specifically means we get to work a lot with the leadership team of these frontline workers. Uh, Obviously we do work with the executives and C-suite, but we realize that the problem is always, uh, or not the problem, the the opportunities for improvement are always uh, at the the field level. And a lot of time that's where the disconnects lie in in most organizations. Um, So PVA has specialized in that niche and uh, yeah, that's about it, Eugene. So Harris, talk to me a little bit about, are you specifically focused on oil and gas or do you span, I, I know PVA spans, as you said, multiple different kind of industrial um, sectors. Are you specifically focused on oil and gas yourself or do you work with clients a- across the spectrum as well? Across the spectrum, uh, um, in, in all industries. Uh, so mainly right now in the last couple of years, uh, utilities. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's mainly what I've been worked on working on at PVA. And talk to me when you talk about continuous improvement, um, uh, projects, can you give me examples of what, what does that mean in a utility sector or in the energy sector? Can you give me some examples of, of, of what that though, how it manifests itself, I, I, I guess. Yeah. So in, in the utility sector, as you know, uh, it's a regulated industries uh, in, in across, across us and Canada. And what that means is, you know, they're going to have a set rate and they're going to have a set customer base. That's steadily going to increase. Most utilities don't really have to compete for uh, business, right? I mean, you're going to always need power and communities are growing across North America. So that sets the picture of uh, does the company really need to get better, such as a private business where they have, you know, competitions, sorry, competition from different competitors. And if they don't improve their bottom line, they could be out of business. Utilities, they don't have that pressure. And all the good, you know, all the smart utilities are realizing that, that we can't go on like that forever. So then they bring in different firms like, like us. And where continuous improvement helps them is a lot of it, a lot of the continuous improvement leads to the behavioral change in, in their frontline leadership team. So 
if we have things that we can fix and we can address, okay, cool, we fixed it once, but then what about next time? Is there a culture of uh, uh, identifying opportunities, actioning those opportunities, and then completing those opportunities? That you know, think, plan, do, act cycle, uh, and that lacks a lot in 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 not only utilities and just all uh, types of sectors, specifically with frontline leadership. People only get to the problems. Uh, when when they become apparent and they don't proactively go out and try to solve them. Are there kind of common, is there a common thread of things that are kind of popping up as as problems, as things that can be addressed um, within that? So for example, is it is it more along the lines of, of, of safety? Is it more along the lines of operational efficiency and kind of maintenance repair or preventative maintenance? Or what are some of the areas you're kind of seeing you know, areas where we can say, okay, this is, this is kind of more of a systemic issue that we can kind of, there's really a, a, like you said earlier, a huge opportunity here for us to find or drive improvement through the, through the operations. I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, the operational efficiencies, specifically uh, how they're planning the work, right? Uh, How they're, planning and scheduling the work, whatever the work type is, if it's, it's if it's uh, corrective maintenance, preventative maintenance, if it's, if it's uh, new work, uh, if it's um, garnering new business, I think it's the planning piece that uh, a lot of companies don't have honed down. And then the leaderships that are planning that, so the dispatching team, the scheduling team, they haven't been trained efficiently or they don't understand the actual outputs required that the business needs so that we can be efficient as possible. Yeah. I mean, it, it strikes me probably that one of the challenges that, that you probably face as you go in and try to help these organizations is that, like you said, let's take utilities where a, there may not have been pressure in the past to, to change, or at least to kind of um, continuously kind of innovate and, and improve things. And also, you probably have, in many cases, a workforce that has been there for quite some time, at least the individual frontline workers that have been there doing it the same way. Um, you mentioned this kind of boots on the ground approach to, to what you do. Talk to me a little bit about how do you engage with the frontline, these frontline teams, frontline leaderships, leadership, and even frontline workers as you're going to do maybe some of the discovery and, and kind of, you know, get them to kind of buy into this, to this process and the mentality to kind of making change. Yeah, that's a really good question. So uh, it, it typically starts there's various phases in the program of, of a PBA project, right. And, and the phases that really handle this is the assessment and area development phase of a, of a project. And in those two phases, they could be anywhere from, one to eight weeks so those eight two months uh, and and a little bit longer depending on the size of the the project and you're spending uh time with you know hard hat steel toe boots in the truck of uh of uh electrician of uh a line worker of uh a planner and scheduler if, if they're knowledge workers or office workers or dispatch teams and you're spending upwards of the entire day and because, you know, you need to have a large sample size and you need to see varying um, business problems to, to help the client eventually and say, hey, I think this is where you guys should should focus. So uh, 
that's what we say boots on the ground, right? Well, we'll, we'll have executives that want their strategy implemented, but then we'll go and see at the point of contact what's actually going on. Oh, wow, 50% of your workforce don't even know their vision for 2025, even though the executives have been saying, mm -hmm. hey, we need to bring external contractor work in internally. And they don't know that, right? Um, so uh, that is when we say boots on the ground. A lot of our consultants, it's not the typical uh, boardroom consultants. Um, you got your, your steel toe boots, you got your high vis vest, and you follow all protocols on at whichever client uh, that you're with. And, and, and just by doing that act alone, a lot of the times you'll hear feedback from those employees saying, wow, even my own supervisor or manager has not spent time with me and, and figured out what my barriers are to do my job day to day. And again, those barriers could be uh, technology-based, it could be training-based, it could be competency-based. Uh, all of the above. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You kind of mentioned that one point at the end, right, where you talk about, oh, you know, you'll get that reaction in the field that says, almost kind of embracing, right, you and and your colleagues because you've been out there kind of riding along with them and kind of seeing what their problems are. As I was going to ask that question, which is, what do you see as kind of the, you know, how receptive is the front line? when you're going in to kind of these changes, I mean, anytime they bring an outside consultant, right. Everybody knows, all right, things are changing. Who the heck are these people? What's going on? You know, and in some cases may really get their kind of back up a little bit because, you know, there's an anxiety there um, when it comes to change. So, yeah. you know, what's the, what's the general, what's the general sense? I imagine it must be different from the first day you walk in there with a new client to, you know, maybe eight weeks later, as you said, um, there's probably a shift that that occurs. Yeah, you know, it's part of the chain cycle, right? Um, and and yeah, you've captured that perfectly. Where there's a stigma around consulting and consultants, and and uh, most of the time, there's a little bit of hostility uh, the first few weeks. But once they realize that you know you're not out there to take their job or anything, you're out there to try to help them, and that takes days for some and it takes weeks for some uh that's where they really open up and then that's where they share and then when you actually solve a little problem for them right a small problem oh i didn't have uh this tool when i went to uh the the store warehouse when you solve something that simple for them or i didn't have uh then they then they uh then you have the buy-in from that individual once you have the buy-in from that individual they become your advocate for people that may never be uh on board, right? I always say you only need 51% of people on board, right? The 49 can say, we don't want to be on this change. 51%, we're good. The wheel is spinning. Um, and then everybody will, will follow suit. And the people that don't want to be on board, they'll never will be, and then they'll leave, right? And then that's the team that you want to build. The strong team that is embraces change and then they want, then they embraces, they embrace ways to do things better. Um, but a lot of that also comes on, uh, comes on to us and the leadership team. You must communicate properly. Hey, why we're here, what their goal is. Uh, and you always have to, you always have to understand people are going to follow that curve where there's going to be unknown. There's going to be, you know, resiliency. There's going to be them getting, understanding it a little bit better. And then there'll eventually be more awareness and then awareness to ownership and then ownership to finally 
uh, full buy-in accountability. And I just give everybody that that uh, benefit of the doubt that they'll come around eventually. Uh, and most do. Now, you mentioned as well, I mean, you, 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 you mentioned it kind of quickly, but I think it's an important point in your background in that you actually started out um, kind of in the oil and gas industry. What did you do? What, what were your, your jobs there? What, what, what were your roles? Yeah, so I was actually working as a geologist. And I was the boots on the ground person uh, in, in various well sites. So I would be sitting there uh, 24-7, as you know, some of these well sites run uh, through Christmas, through holidays. And you're, you're logging core, you're, you're, you're gathering samples, um, you're monitoring the different uh, labor workforce that's down there when you hit certain, uh, you know, they call them TD in, in oil and gas, the target depth. Of, of the formation that are oil producing. And that's what I was doing. And it was fun. You learn a lot, but, uh, I just could note, I would notice many times there that we're just focused on that one project or that one. Well, but the whole group doesn't know the, the long-term initiative of what the company's trying to achieve. Right. So that was always interested in getting out and trying to help those people. Yeah. And it's, it certainly kind of gave you that perspective of, okay, you know, I, we're so focused that, you know, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing, that there's opportunities for, um, for us to kind of change here. Um, I, I love that story. I mean, I love the fact that you've kind of gone from, okay, being, you know, kind of on the front line, definitely on the front lines yourself yeah. to now kind of, you know, helping enable those companies to change. Um, the other thing you mentioned, you know, as you were kind of talking a few minutes ago, um, which is kind of that buy-in, that communication, under, the understanding, you know, you mentioned earlier at the very top of the show, you mentioned that kind of this communication and a disconnect. Uh, and then a few minutes ago, you alluded to it again. I think you, you mentioned that, okay, there's just not understanding, you know, that, you know, the, the front line has no idea what the company's goals were, right? They weren't communicated them that at, you know, adequately. I wonder how, how does that go the other way as well? Right. After you spent those weeks in the field, after you've kind of worked with the frontline workers are, do you find that executive leadership or senior leadership, are they surprised by what you find is, is happening on the front line? Yeah. hundred percent of the time they're surprised because uh, most executives are rightfully so they're disconnected from the field. Right. And they have to be at their level which I understand. Um, but when we break it down, so let's say, you know, there'd be opportunities in planning, there'll be opportunities in execution, there'll be opportunities in reporting at a high level. And then you break it down, hey, 30% of your team are going to a work site that they don't have the material for. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, wow, that is, it's like most of your jobs, 30% of your jobs, that's the problem. Okay, well, then the executive take it at that level. Okay, well, let me speak to procurement team. Let me speak to stores team. What's going on over there? They take it to at their level. And then once you get to their level, you're like, oh, wow, okay. Nobody's going out of their way to really make somebody's day difficult. They just, they haven't seen the forest from the trees and they're doing everything in their power, loading material. There's a backlog, there's supply chain issues. And then that's just stemming all the way down to, to the workers. So 
I don't know if I answered your questions. There, yeah, but, I yeah. absolutely. And, you know, I wonder, it's very interesting because, you know, it certainly s- sounds like a lot of what you're doing is, or at least a lot of what you've been brought in to do, right, is to find areas for improvement, right? Areas Correct. for efficiencies um, in operations. At the same time, it seems like you're being a conduit, right, to solve this challenge that you mentioned, which is the communication challenge. Now, how do you help companies or do you then say, listen, guys, one of the areas that you really have to fix is is this disconnect that's happening right between the executive suite and 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 frontline leadership and actually frontline workers? How do you help companies kind of navigate through that um, piece of it as well? Yeah, so this part is interesting, and I'll I'll answer the question in in a two part uh, um, answer, you know. Originally, you said, uh, yeah, in a, in a two-part answer. So one way is we, whenever we have a project, we always have one person uh, that's an employee of the company. So that once after we leave, they're yep. trained on on the methodology of, of our continuous improvement program. So they have the email, they have the buy-in, they're, they're one of theirs. And then that employee becomes the conduit to reach out to external stakeholders that may not be part of that mm. project. So an email coming from them has more value or a meeting notice coming from them has more value than a consultant, right? They're like, yep. oh, so-and-so actually works here. And then they're supposed to be leading this change once we leave. Uh, so that's one answer. And then tying to that answer is that, like you said, in these utilities and, and construction businesses, people have been in the business for decades and they haven't looked for new ways to change so we have to you know we have to work with them we maybe have to take you know like win a lose a couple battles to win the war so we're like okay they don't want to be doing this they don't want to be doing this but they want to do this okay that should help us four or five months from now so uh a lot of it comes down to behavioral coaching at all levels that uh Guys, we're just trying to make things better. We're not out here to get anybody. Uh, can we uh, can we look at different ways to do things, right? Um, we bring in change management teams at these companies. And, and, and that's where a lot of times there is the biggest communication uh, disconnect. And it's funny because it's change management. That's their job, not to, to cause that disconnect. But they do. A lot of times they're sitting in, in corporate offices and they've never, ever... They don't even know how one job is completed from inception to closeout, uh, whatever the job is, right? Uh, and they're out here coaching executives on change management. And I'm just like, you guys are disconnected because that's not what's happening. I'm telling you right now, that's not what's happening. And you know, to pick on the example, 30% of your workforce is going to a job that they can't even complete. And what is the lost time and, and the dollars associated with that? So a lot of it is, trying to get change management to do what I do, right? Hey, come there, sit with the people, build the rapport, and then they will help you. That typical, you talked about kind of the um, the internal employee who becomes kind of the champion, if you will, for change and that, that internal kind of leader. Where does that typically come from? I mean, who, who is it? Is it at, at the kind of frontline, a frontline supervisor, frontline manager, you know, what's the typical role of that individual or the ideal role, I guess I would say, um, 
if you had your pick? Yeah, so at PVA, we, we always try, you know, we have an interview process with them and we try to find a candidate that can replicate us uh, to the, you know, to the best of our knowledge. And I don't think there is one trait, uh, you know, uh, education-wise or job-specific-wise. I think it's more of an inherent per- characteristic that they aren't afraid to you know, kick some doors open and, and challenge the status quo. And a lot of times that's what people don't want to do, right? That's why they brought the consultants in in the first place, because we're just guests. We're going to leave. So uh, we can push the envelope a little bit, but an internal person, they have to live with them day in and day out, and maybe they don't want to do that. <laughs> so it, it comes down to the character of that individual and the most successful uh, we call them coordinators or change champions uh, are the ones that they want to see the company do better. It's inside, you know, their heart. And then that's what they want to do. And so hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I love that change champion. I think that's a great kind of term. Um, I want to pivot it just as, just slightly um, in terms of how, how often, do your do your initiatives as change initiatives involve technology right or the either the introduction of of technology or improvement in technology um i imagine there's still probably a lot of processes in some of these these businesses across some of these industries that haven't real that don't rely very heavily on technology are you seeing that as a trend is introducing kind of you know the buzz term digital transformation um in some of these frontline operations yeah so to answer your question short yes technology is involved in our initiatives from the start from when we start mapping out the process if we're going to map out their work stream in in a maintenance program technology is the start of the the process step because uh, whatever the technology is, SAP, Oracle, Maximo, that along with the business process go hand in hand. They have to, you know, literally click something in, in some sort of uh, IT space that pushes work forward. Mm-hmm. And then that triggers somebody else in the queue to do some other specific task uh, in the work stream. So we map out both technology and um, uh, business processes. So, and then that's where you really notice, oh, wow, some, even with this technology, there's still redundancy. There's still uh, unneeded steps and non-value added steps, even though the technology was originally brought in to reduce that. Oh, it's actually causing more uh, back and forth and a rework than, than it should have. And, and you shouldn't expect that from a technology. So a lot of times it would you know, at the end of an engagement or mid engagement, that is a solution. Hey, you need to remove this software and put in a new software because whoever implemented that software, maybe PVA won't suggest that the software, we're not a software company, but we'll give the requirements for that software from the end user, right? Hey, they need this, 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 and that technology that's currently being used is only giving them this and this. Um, and bringing in those two missing portions, you will have an X return on, on your investment. Um, and, and that's what I realized, Eugene, a lot. I'm sure you've, you've, you know this. I haven't seen one good technology implementation, ERP or, or otherwise, that's gone well in any business. 
Um, and that's where the competition is on digital transformation. Uh, there's a there's a real need for that, and there's companies all over spawning left and right that that are trying to solve that need. Um, yeah, I, and I, I think it's a great point. There's a couple things I want to follow up on, on on there and what you were kind of talking about, right? One is, you know, I find it interesting. You, you kind of talked about ERP. You talked about probably work management systems, you know, work order management systems. You know, and typically, you know, those were not designed necessarily really with the end user in mind, right? They were designed with the business, with the capital B, Right. You know, we've got to put a new inventory management system in here so we can keep track of, of, of our assets in the field. Right. Our asset management, enterprise asset management solution. And you kind of made this comment is like we can help build those requirements of this is what. The frontline workers need. Right. And yeah. I think that's probably one of the challenges is from the very start. Right. They were not designed with the needs of the frontline worker in mind. Correct. Yeah. Um, you also kind of talked about this, you know, the, the, you know, you haven't seen one that's been successful or very few that have been successful. How do you, so, you know, what are your thoughts, your recommendations as you're saying, how do you make it successful? Right. So obviously if you're recommending a technology change, right. That, well, okay. You know, because the, the initial implementation, you know, hasn't been a success. How do you ensure success the next time around? Yeah, this is this is a really fun topic to talk about for me. So it's it comes down to the sales team of that technology, what or uh, software, maybe over promising the actual functional requirements of that technology, and then when the engineering and design teams come after the account executive and sales team, and they actually sit with the the leaders, hey, then they realize, oh crap. Uh, maybe we can't actually do this, but we can do this. And this is a good workaround. And as per the contract, it solves what we, 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 uh, you know, signed off on, but they don't really look into the, what is it going to cost the havoc downstairs uh, at the, the truck level, at the field level, at the dispatch level. So to, to solve this, I think sales and, uh, the sales team, the design team, and the field team have to be in the same room for weeks, for months, to hash out with the experts in the field. And it doesn't have to be, you know, I'm using the word field loosely. It could be the, the supervisor of operations, the supervisor of design, the, the actual technical experts, right? Because the sales team and the design team, they aren't the technical experts of the job, of what they need, like to the to the point of, what they need. Hey, I need this to output a date that has these fields at, at this time <laughs> with this unit. So that level of precision has to happen. But the disconnect right now, from what I've seen, a lot of implementation is that's where it lies. You don't, they don't have that individual that is gathering every requirement and then translating that to the engineering team of, of the software and then holding that software team accountable at every level that if you don't get this output we can't it's going to cause a lot of rework down the line so that one person that ties it all maybe and i know the different software cycles they have that in their pm methodology but it's not working from from what, what i see it's not working what are some of the you know you talked earlier about 
you know, again, this, this kind of communication barriers, um, for the frontline, um, what are the tools that you see if there are, are there technology tools or there communication tools that you see consistently missing for the frontline workforces that you, you deal with? Are there things that could make their lives better? Is there technology that could make their lives better that they just don't have access to today? Yeah, I think it's not a one one size fits all mm -hmm. solution, right? You you receive information differently than I receive information. Mm -hmm. Maybe I like to hear it and you like to see it. Um, so, you know, they'll send out companies will send out large org announcements via email, and then maybe somebody won't get to it. You have two hundred emails in your inbox. You may not even get to it. Maybe there's newsletters and screens in the op centers uh, that somebody's like, oh, okay, wow, this is what's happening. So uh yes technology does have a role to play everybody's connected on on some sort of mobile device and how we use it uh yeah the, there is a there is a better way to do it i don't know i i don't know if i can pinpoint if it's if it's an email a text message a phone notification of some sort an app uh yeah i think i think all of the above it has maybe you bring the people in maybe there's town hall it has to be all of the above and it has to happen consistently and constantly to drive home whatever change or whatever is going on communication wise i don't think one way like is is the answer if you send out a you know an email or, or a notification on a software maybe everybody won't receive it yeah and you know do you see i mean you spend a lot of time obviously you know boots on the ground as you said um, what's the, what's the perception of technology among some of these frontline workers that you're dealing with? Is there resistance to technology? They look at it as saying, Hey, this is something that's supposed to help me. It doesn't, or do they, or are they more embracing it as like, yeah, this, this actually can be a tool for that helps. Me. It's, it's both depending on if, if the technology actually solves their or makes their day easier, right? Uh, why did Tesla come in all of a sudden and take over the EV space? Well, because all the other cars except Tesla's software is worse than our cell phone from five years ago, <laughs> right? I mean, I sit in a brand new 2020 car other than Tesla. It is not as intuitive as, as our computer or our cell phone. Tesla beat them at that. Everybody... Well, now that's why they go for Tesla to become a software company over an automotive company, but it helps. It makes their life easier. And so to answer your question, I think everybody will be on board, you know, uh, as long as it actually helps them and it doesn't make their life harder. And most of the times it makes their life harder, even though it wasn't designed to whatever Panasonic tough yeah. book document or, or sorry computer was given to them with a gps tracker and then it's laggy or glitchy or it's not connecting and then it's giving them work that is already completed and then they're going to it and you know that would frustrate anybody uh it's like if me and you were on this call we would try to connect 50 times that didn't work they'd be like what is this technology so if it works it's amazing if it doesn't work good luck trying to convince them otherwise um yeah, that's my thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I, I think you've hit it. 
you know, on the head with a lot of these, these things it goes through my mind as well, which is, you know, we often think of, you know, technology this day, these days is supposed to be, it's supposed to be intuitive, right? Or we have this expectation. I think everybody has expectation that, that software, right? Hardware should be fairly intuitive, um, that you should be open, open a box and, you know, it'll, it'll either, you know, you either understand how to use something uh, quickly or the instructions are so easy to understand that it's almost foolproof. But yeah. I think the opposite is true in many cases when it comes to enterprise technology, particularly enterprise technology that has been deployed to the to the front lines. I mean, in some cases, I'm sure you've seen this, you know, Harris, that some of these systems have been put in place. Some of these applications are probably put in place a decade ago or more uh, and haven't gone through a lot of change in, in that time. Um, and when they were put in, it wasn't put in from what Eugene needed at that time. Right. Yeah. It was put in from what the 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 company may have needed, but not what that individual group of people needed, right? So, you know, a common phrase I like to use is, if you build the process, you own the process, right? If I was to say, hey, Eugene, let's build a process on how you take out or order delivery from an app. And then you're like, okay, Harris, I like to do this. I like to go on the computer. And then you build it. It's your words. If, if it's your words, you'll always take the, the ownership to, to make sure it, you see it through. But if it's somebody else's words you're never going to have that personal accountability so whenever we roll these technology and transformation initiatives out we have to have that one individual that represents the group's process and words and they own the process or they build the process they will own the process is, is yeah. what i always like to say you you also mentioned um at the very beginning of our discussion, you you talked you you talked about the pandemic. Obviously, how could we not talk about the pandemic when we're talking about frontline yeah. workers? Um, and and kind of mentioned kind of this frustration, uh, stress, anxiety on the front line. How have things changed, or have they changed in terms of you know how leadership, maybe executive leadership or senior leadership, is? Are they recognizing? the pressure, the change, what are the steps they're taking to kind of address some of those things for the front line? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think corporate America and Canada, they, they never really, they just went home and they just started doing zooms, yeah. but firefighters, ambulance, oil and gas workers, utility workers, policemen and, and women, they've been working in person throughout all of it. So uh, I think overall, you know, corporate America and Canada lacked in understanding that those people, nothing really changed for them. They were still required to go to work. They were still required to physically show up, uh, pandemic or no pandemic. Otherwise, you know, lives were at, at uh, risk. So I think a little bit of grief, uh, sorry, a little bit of patience and a little bit of uh, understanding and awareness from the corporate executives part should be across the board that we face the pandemic by going remote, but they've been actually in there and risking their lives and livelihood. Let's just give, let's just cut some slack here that, you know, if there's a little bit of reduction on, on, on work or things are taking longer than usual. Um, but there needs to be a, yeah, I don't know if, it's a, I don't know. I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, I, I was just kind of wondering if there's, 
I, I guess that's that's kind of the crux of it is is how do you solve it, right? And I'm I'm not asking yeah. you for the answer because yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think everybody's struggling with it. But it's like you know, a is there a recognition among among executive leadership is like okay, this is becoming a a real problem from our frontline workers. And two, are they taking any steps to kind of even just whether it's professional development, whether it's hey, let's really kind of instead of focusing on operational efficiency, we've got to focus on kind of our people, right? So, yeah, you know, and, yeah. and you know, you know, because those things at least they can be perceived to be in conflict. I think at times. Yeah, I think that's what the pandemic has done, right? So, the the forced remote or not the forced the remote work has cause that disconnect because I don't know how Eugene is feeling because I can I can do my best to read you through this webcam but you may have you know things going on that I don't know about and that's where the executives are at right they they say a message they get a message it's just like teams right or or, or any group of individuals uh, you don't know right and I was reading an interesting article I think HBR that said a lot like Salesforce and, and, and certain companies have made policies that if you're in a remote call, you can't have side conversations that me and you maybe would have had if we met at an office during the meeting, outside of the meeting. So they're like, you have to keep it based on the meeting topic. And that's one strategy that you can use uh, to address that. But I think five, 10 years from now, we'll look at this and be like, all this did was... Uh, expedite what was already going to happen and just give people the re leniency flexibility to work whatever they want to work flexibility to yeah that's that's my thoughts on it it doesn't need to be as structured or black and white as it was in the past yeah so if i were to ask you i mean obviously you seem really really passionate about what you, what you're doing I, I get this sense is that you really relish the opportunity to to kind of really get on the front lines, really solve problems that are that are happening, um, and and really solve problems for the for the frontline workers themselves. If I were to ask you, what is it that you love the most about your job? What are some of the things that frustrate you? Uh, what are the things? So you so you ask me, what are the things that frustrate me about my job? Well, and what are the things you love about it? Okay, you can take so it in. You can take it in either order. Okay. Okay. So I'll take uh, the what I love first. What I really love about my job is at the end of a project, they're saying, "Wow, you actually did something for me. Uh, your company, you as the individual, you actually solved the problem that has been here for the last however long." And then you know, all the time away from family, the hotel life, really, really just feels good. Right. Um, I never go one in one because I'm helping everybody. I never ever go into work feeling like I ha I'm not there and I'm not doing something positive day by day where we're chipping at the stone and we're getting somewhere. So that's what I really love. I like about my job. What I don't love about my job is the things that are sometimes out of my controls. I could suggest uh, initiatives and, and key areas to focus on, but then ultimately it's going to come down to the executive of that team. Saying, hey, yes, this is not the priority right now. Focus on this. Even though from what we've gathered, we know that may not be the best uh, path. But that's uh, those are the two things. Yeah, I imagine there are times that the things you uncover in the field, right, that you feel really passionate about, 
you know, sometimes don't align with kind of the, the, the higher level business objectives. It mm. also sounds like, you know, one of the challenges is, you know, how do you ensure, you know, continuous change, right? You know, cause when you're on the project, you're probably helping drive that change and drive yes. that pro pro process. But after you're gone, you know, how do you ensure that it, it sticks, that change really sticks? Yeah, and that's where there's always going to be some sort of regression once the consultants leave, right? People almost take a sigh of relief for a bit. <laughs> like, oh, okay, I can go back to my normal day-to-day -day life. But that's why it's important. Almost, I think it's midway of any project, if it's a year-long project at six months, where I tone it down and I let the, the, the coordinator or the internal resource that we've trained up take over. And then where that passing of torch happens, then they become uh, the champion and I slowly weed myself out of it. And I periodically do some check-ins to make sure that we're healthy and, and things are headed towards the right path. That's why we really, really made that a, a priority that we put somebody in internal to run the project after it's finished. Yeah. And drive that and be the champion. I think that's great. Harris, this has been a, a fantastic um, discussion. As I said, I mean, it's it's really refreshing to hear uh, somebody who truly is kind of on the front lines, helping frontline workers, helping organizations kind of um, improve and, and try to drive change. So thank you again for for taking the time with me today. Thank, thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts with our uh, our listeners. Thanks, Eugene, for having me. Uh, stay in touch for you know, and all the best with Skillful and, and uh, Frontline Innovators. Thank you very much. Where can people find you, by the way, if they want to reach out and learn more about you or about PVA? What's the best way to do that? Well, for me, they can reach out on my LinkedIn, uh, Harris Mohammed, you know, PVA Consulting Group. And then for PVA, pva.ca. And, and they can read more about the company. That's great. Harris, again, thank you. Um, and I think we'll kind of wrap it up here. Um, I hope folks listening have found this conversation uh as enjoyable as i have if so please share and rate the podcast five star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines and just a friendly reminder this podcast is sponsored by skillful the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers you can visit the skillful website at skyllful com, And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. Until then, see you on our next episode. 